our scripture tonight is from Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as... uh... As we may have mentioned last week, this will be uh, my last night with you for uh, two weeks. Uh, we're very grateful, Sandy and I, and some friends get to go uh, to a pilgrimage to follow in the footsteps of St. Benedict in Rome. This is a uh, 1500th anniversary. And if you think of us during that time, I'd ask you to pray for three loves. Um, I'd ask you to pray that uh, uh, Sandy and my love for each other would be deepened, uh, that uh, our love for the Lord would be deepened, that our love for you would be deep. So I look forward to coming back and being with you. Next week, John Wood, who's the pastor of Cedar Springs, will be preaching. And then uh, the following week, Scott Branson will be uh, preaching. I became a Christian in the spring of uh, 1976. And with my conversion came a simple trust in the scriptures. Uh, it was very much a Bible-based church with some wonderful teaching, and uh, it just never occurred to me uh, that, that I might ever doubt God's Word. Well, five years later, I, I took a course in college called New Testament Origins, and it introduced me for the first time to what was called a critical study of the Bible, And I learned that a lot of Bible scholars uh, believe that the Bible is just a human document, uh, reflecting the imagination of the early church. And and I began to wonder, can I trust God's word? Was I right to put my my faith in in its words as God's inspired word? And the, the text that we're looking at tonight is the passage in God's word more than any other that I've gone back to more than once when doubts have come about the trustworthiness of Scripture. And I want to spend some time opening it up tonight, but here's the big idea. Uh, Here's what I've learned from this verse, what many have learned from this verse. Here's the big idea. If Jesus trusts the Bible, then I can. Okay? So that's, that's where we're going. I'm going to give you the end first. Um, uh, if Jesus trusts the Scripture, then we can. But let's figure out uh, what he's saying here. There's a lot going on. We've been learning in our study of Matthew's Gospel that Jesus comes as the second Moses, the new and better Moses, who's bringing a new and better covenant with the people of God. Uh, Moses climbed up the mountain. He gives the people of God the, the law of God to show them how to live as his people. Jesus climbs up a mountain, and now he's about to expand the law of God for new covenant people. And when we get back, we'll look at what he does, is he's going to take six different commandments from the Old Testament, and he's going to 
teach them their fuller and deeper meaning. But before he gets into expounding the New Testament and deepening it, showing its, uh, what it means for New Covenant believers, he, he takes time to talk about his own relationship with the law, how he, how he feels about the Scriptures. And he begins by saying, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Now, uh, in the synagogue in his day, there would have been two main scrolls. Uh, one would have the law, one would have the prophets. And they would comprise what we would call the, the Hebrew Scriptures or the Old Testament. So, Jesus is talking about what Christians call the Old Testament. And he says, okay, here's the first thing I want you to know, disciples and church, is I didn't come to do away with the Old Testament. Uh, there's this view sometimes that we get, maybe subtly, maybe sometimes not so subtly, that the real Jesus, uh, the real God's word is found in the New Testament. And we're, we're kind of done with the, the, the mean God of the Old Testament. We don't really need him very much. Let's focus on Jesus. Well, I understand there's a lot of difficult questions about the Old Testament. But one option that you can't take as a Christian is, I'm kind of a New Testament guy. Uh, I don't really care about the Old Testament. Because Jesus says, I didn't come to, literally it means undo it. I didn't come to undo the Old Testament. Matter of fact, Jesus is constantly quoting the Old Testament. He refers to Abel and Noah and Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and Isaac and Jacob. He refers to manna and the snake in the desert and David eating the bread and Solomon and Elijah and Elisha and Jonah and Zechariah. He mentions the suffering of the prophets. And when he addresses the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he does so in the basis of the Old Testament. When he talks to the lawyer uh, about what the greatest commandment is, he gives two quotes from the Old Testament. When Satan tempts him in the wilderness, he quotes the Old Testament. After the resurrection, when he meets the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he opens up the scriptures and walks them through the entire Old Testament and shows how they're fulfilled in him. So, Jesus was immersed in the Hebrew scriptures. He loved the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, he'd memorized the Hebrew scriptures. He, he trusted the Hebrew scriptures. As one, one uh, scholar put it, he said, Jesus' belief in the truthfulness of the Old Testament was the rock on which he based his sense of vocation and the validity of much of his teachings. Well, then Jesus goes on to say, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, what does that mean? What does Jesus mean when he says he has come to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures. Well, it could mean a number of different things. It probably does mean a number of different things. Jesus fulfills the, the Old Testament scriptures by fulfilling prophecy. He will often say things like, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It could mean that he uh, fulfills the scriptures, the law, by keeping it perfectly. He's the only person that reveals to us what, what the law kept perfectly looks like. It could mean that he fulfills the law by uh, dying on the cross for our sins and bearing the penalty of the law for us. The primary meaning here probably has something to do with Jesus fulfilling the law by bringing about its full meaning and writing it on our heart. Now, let me go back to that for just a moment. You don't have to turn there if you don't have a Bible, but Ezekiel chapter 36, 
verse 25 is one of the last great prophecies of the Old Testament, and it's a prophecy of the new covenant. And God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So Jesus is coming at the end of the old covenant. And he is saying, I am here to initiate, to inaugurate the new covenant. And what that means is, instead of the law of God existing on tablets in the tabernacle, I am now going to write my law on your hearts by the Spirit. I am the law. I am the word, Jesus says. And I am going to come and indwell you by the Spirit that I pour out on Pentecost and give you the desire to obey the law. Now that's very, very significant because we're experiencing a a dramatic shift here in the way that the people of God relate to the law of God. From more of an external, sincere obedience to more of an internal, spirit-led obedience. So that's what it means for Jesus to fulfill the law. He will fulfill the law by writing himself on our hearts and giving us his spirit to obey and love and desire him. Well, then he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Uh, An iota was the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. He's probably referring to the Greek Old Testament that translated the Hebrew Old Testament. The iota translated the yod, which is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It's uh, like, it looks like our apostrophe. And a tittle was a tiny little flick uh, like we would have if you're making a, an F and you put that little line there. That would be like a, a tittle. So in other words, the very smallest part of the scriptures. And he says, that part, from the littlest part of the word of God, the littlest part of the Old Testament, will not pass away, not until the end of the age, not, not until the consummation of all things. All of God's word will be faithful and reliable and to be trusted all of the time that you are with me in this kingdom. Even the smallest parts. Now, of course, God's word needs to be interpreted. That's not always easy. But Jesus isn't talking about that. He is saying that every dimension of God's word can be trusted. All of it, down to the smallest parts. When it's interpreted faithfully, we obey it. Jesus believes in the inspiration of the scriptures. That's clearly implied here. He understands that men wrote the Old Testament, but he believes they're inspired by the Spirit, and therefore the Word of God. So our Lord begins one of his teachings by saying, David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, said this. And Jesus uh, sometimes introduces a statement by saying, it is written, clearly he's He's looking to the scriptures as the final authority in any argument. Now, what Jesus affirms about the Old Testament, 
he also promises about the New Testament. Now follow this. Jesus affirms that the Old Testament scriptures are God's word inspired, authoritative, and worthy to be trusted. And then he promises that he will guide the apostles to write scriptures for the church that will be equally as reliable. It's in John 16, verse 12. He tells the apostles, I still have many things to say to you. You can't hear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. For he won't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. He'll take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus is promising the ongoing guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the apostles as they write what will become the New Testament. Jesus trusted the scriptures he had and promised to give trustworthy scriptures to his church. Therefore, he says, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Since scripture is God's inspired, authoritative word, Jesus says, teach all of it. Obey all of it. Take it all seriously. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what could that possibly mean? The scribes and the Pharisees were the most devout uh, people of the day. They were excruciatingly devoted to the law of God. They spent their whole life studying it. What possibly could Jesus mean when he takes the most religious people of the day and says... When you come into a right relationship with me and my word is written on your heart and you begin to live the law out of your relationship with me, you're going to exceed the righteousness of the most religious people of your day. What what could possibly he mean? Well, again, we're going back to the new covenant. What he means is that because I'm going to write the law of God on your heart by my spirit, I am going to give you a capacity to know and love and serve God that nobody's ever known before. I'm going to give you the spirit to help reveal the scriptures to you in a way that even Moses couldn't have understood. Now I'm going to flip over to 2 Corinthians 3 and just dip in there for a moment because Paul talks about the new covenant way of reading the scriptures. And we'll just dip in here. It's a complicated passage, but we'll just, we'll just dip in. Paul, Paul says, uh, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything from us. Our sufficiency is from God, who's made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. See what he's saying? He's saying, you now have, as New Covenant Christians on this side of the Pentecost, you now have the Holy Spirit to teach you the inner meaning of the law. And not only to show you what to do, but to live inside your heart to give you the power and the desire to do it. 
Now, if the ministry of death, he says, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze on Moses' face because of its glory, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. Since we have such a hope, we're very bold, not like Moses, who'd put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over the heart. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is, we all, with unveiled face, behold the Lord. See what he's saying? He's saying that when you come into the new covenant, when you embrace Him, when you abide in Him, when you accept Him, when you follow Him, when you immerse your will in His, when you give your life to His, He gives you the Spirit. And the Spirit opens your eyes, removes the veil, and shows you things in the Word of God that no human could ever see before. That's the power and the beauty and the glory of the Scriptures for the people of God in the new covenant. Someone was describing to me this week, uh, you know, Monday night, we have, we have a number of Bible studies. One of us on Monday night, Mark, has been teaching through Exodus lately. and They, they were talking about how they changed since they went to that Bible study, that they used to read the Bible and try to apply its principles. But one of the things that they've discovered in that Bible study is, is how to allow the Holy Spirit to remove the veil and how powerful it is to go into a room and open themselves to the Spirit and have Him crack open the Scriptures and see its jewels. That's when Bible study gets exciting is when the Spirit removes the veil. So Jesus, the new Moses, brings a new understanding of the law for the people of the new covenant. He removes the veil. He gives the Spirit. He puts the law in our hearts, and He makes it possible for us to keep it. So can we trust the Scriptures? Jesus trusted the Scriptures. The Son of God trusted the Scriptures. The one who is truth, who is the Word of God, trusted the Scriptures. So, you can too. One writer put it like this, The question about the inspiration of Scripture boils down to the issue of Christology. That means what we understand about Jesus. It is impossible to affirm his authority while at the same time seeking to evade his teachings regarding divine authority of the Bible. If Christ claimed to be the Son of God is true, his person guarantees the truth of all the rest of his teachings as well. Now, if, if my slide made it in there, um, pop that up. This, I think, is a good summary of it from a British uh, Bible scholar who said, Jesus absolutely trusted the Bible... And though there are things in it inexplicable and intricate that have puzzled me so much, I'm going, not in a blind sense, but reverently, to trust the book because of him. Now, I want to end by asking this question. If it is true 
that we can trust the Bible, then what? Well, first, if we can trust the Bible, then we need to know what the Bible teaches. Because ultimately, the goal is not trusting the Bible. The goal is trusting the God who revealed the Bible. We don't worship the Bible. We reveal the Father who revealed himself in the Bible. The Christian life is lived by faith. Everything we sang tonight in that beautiful set was lived by faith. And the only way you can trust a God that you don't know is if you know something about him. Your trust, your ability to depend on God, to trust him in crisis, to trust him when you're lonely, to trust him when you're anxious, to trust him when you're suffering. The only way that will happen, and no one can do this for you, is you have to know him. And one of the primary ways you know him is through the word of God. That's why you have to be in the Word of God. There's lots of ways to do it. I get that. But you have to be a student of the Word of God. You've got to know His character, His ways, His will, His desires, His, his zeal, His hatreds. You've got to study the Word of God. That's how you know Him. What an incredible privilege it is to think that the God of mystery that we never could hope to understand has in his sovereignty humbled himself to reveal who he is to us in a book. That's how you come to know him. Jesus says, John 5.39, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. They testify of me. The scriptures are where we meet Jesus. If the Bible is true, we also need to obey what the Bible commands, down to the jot and the tittle. Every part of it. And I know sometimes it's hard to interpret it. I get that. But as Martin, I think uh, it was uh, Mark Twain said, I'm much more worried about the parts of the Bible I do understand than the ones that I don't. I think we hide a lot behind, well, I don't know about the Nephilim. I'm not sure. Let's go read a book on it when you're struggling with some enormous sin. Forget about the Nephilim. Nobody cares about the Nephilim. You don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I had a whole lecture on the Nephilim, the six views of the Nephilim in seminary, which tells you how much of it was a waste of time. But don't worry about all the things you don't know. You need to obey all the commands that you do know. We need to obey God's commands regarding our money. We need to obey God's commands regarding our words. We need to obey God's commands regarding our bodies. We need to obey God's commands regarding the poor. We need to obey God's commands regarding our work. We need to obey God's commands regarding Sabbath. We need to obey God's commands regarding worship. We need to obey God's commands regarding witness. All by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And that is something that we as a community need to stir one another to do. I loved our prayer tonight. Stir one another to, one in good, to love and good deeds. We need to encourage one another to live under the whole counsel of God. That's what a Christian community does. Well, finally, if we trust the Bible, we need to claim what the Bible promises. We need to claim what the Bible promises. And beloved, this is what you lose if you have a shallow, weak relationship with the Word of God. If you don't know it, 
if you've never thought through why you can trust it, if, if you're not immersed in it as Jesus was, this is what you lose. There's no promise for you to claim. And this is the heart. This is our hope. This week was, was, a, was a hard week in some ways. It was a beautiful week in some ways. I had some sacred conversations with some of you who were suffering deeply. And you gave me the gift of your brokenness. And we, we sat and we talked about healing. And I've, I've thought about those conversations all week long, often all night long. And I've found myself asking the Lord, uh, well, what, what is the answer? So often people come in and, and life is so confusing and so complicated and, and, and people will say things. What do I do about this? And I don't know. Somebody called me yesterday. We had a very difficult conversation on the phone about a personal problem. And she said, I want to do A and I want to do B. Tell me, Pastor Doug, how do I do A and B? And I said, you can't. They're mutually exclusive. Long silence on the end of the line. What do you do when what you want you can't have? Well, the only place I knew to come back is to claim the promises of God. That's the only place I know to go when you are at a place in your life when you're afraid to go to sleep because of the nightmare you know you're going to have. It's the only place I know to go when you're in a marriage that isn't working and you're not sure it's going to work. It's the only place I know to go when you don't have enough money to get through School, it's the only place I know to go when you're confused about the deepest parts of your longings is to claim the promises of God. Friends can help. It's a good thing. Counselors are wonderful. Medicine is wonderful. Getting a good workout in is wonderful. Taking vitamins is wonderful. Reading a good book is wonderful. But at the deepest level, what ultimately heals the human soul is God and His promises. So at the end of the day, the the best and the deepest answer for human change, I think, is is, is God. The God of the fatherless and the widow and the orphan. The God who refuses to remain silent. The God who reveals himself in a book and a person. The God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who defeated Satan on the cross by sending his son to die and rise again to ascend to the right hand of the Father and pour out his spirit to seal the new covenant so we can share in covenant privileges and power. That is our hope. He is the healer. Nothing else will do it. And you find those promises right here. Let's pray.